Listener supported. WNYC Studios. So many white guys. So many. So many white guys. So white. How much whiteness? All over the place. God damn. Hey everyone, this is Phoebe Lynn Robinson with another episode of So Many White Guys. Holy moly, Joni Baloney, how you doing? (laughs) Oh my God, what an introduction. Wow, I'm doing good. I had the great pleasure of just seeing you earlier this week. Yeah, we had like a little run-in in Brooklyn at the uh, Alamo Draft House. Very fun. I would say it was even a little scary. Yeah, we accidentally basically did like a double date and saw the movie Us, but we didn't realize we were there until after we walked out of the cinema and the movie was over. So Phoebe and Bake Off were two rows ahead of Nick and I. As we should be. As (laughs) Two rows apart. And um, man, I did not have a great experience at the movie. It's too scary. I was too scared. But the acting was great. Ah. It was a great movie. It was just a lot of blood. And I was like, I don't even like seeing this much blood on my period. (laughs) And that's necessary. So (laughs) there is also like a lot of gurgling. Yeah. So we had when we got home, we did a palate cleanser of American Idol. I know no one's watching that one. No (laughs) one's watching it. It's just me and white people in Iowa. There's only like a hundred votes. I know. Total. I don't even vote. I just watch and go, oh, these some of these people are mediocre and judge them and then I go to sleep. Yeah. Well, Nick and I do the same thing with Shark Tank. We like don't know anything about business and now we're like, I can't believe they took that equity deal. Huge mistake. <laughs> oh, here's Mr. Wonderful with another one of his typical royalty deals. Yeah, and then Lori always swoops in and does like 5% different from what someone else just pitched. It's, but who would you smash on Shark Tank? Um, definitely Barb Corcoran. Yeah, I was going to say Barb. That, my dear, is a man. <laughs> Barbara, stay in your seat. <gasps> I love her. Yeah. Damon always says he's out because he doesn't have enough money. It's pretty disturbing, and it freaks me out. I'm already out. And then Mr. Wonderful's kind of, he's just too mean. He's funny, but he's too mean. Yeah. 25 times cash flow for a tchotchke company. Are you out of your mind? And then Robert is, I like Robert because he always gets moved by, like, the immigrant stories. Yeah. And so I like that he appreciates that because, he, you know, his family went through so much. I was born in Croatia, which was a communist country when I was there called Yugoslavia. You never know the situation you grow up in until you compare it to something else. And then Mark Cuban is just like, you know, we're, we're better off as friends, I think. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I didn't offer. I'm married and have kids. I'm like, I just want you to know. <laughs> and I'm also a multi-billionaire. Yeah, but I want you to know, Mark, I don't think we would make it as a couple. <laughs> no, thank you. So uh, what would you pitch on Shark Tank, Phoebe? You remember on Teed Up Queens when I pitched, um, like, my product would be sex towels. So it's like a towel specifically designed for cleanup after sex. Would it be like a yoga towel where it's, like, micro microfiber? It's microfibers. (laughs) We do, like, a full-on infomercial. Dries quickly. Yeah. 
It uses like the technology from like always with wings. <laughs> Absorbs the liquid. Yeah. <laughs> I love that always uses like blue liquid. That's what I was picturing you like splattering the blue liquid on it. <laughs> Okay, what would your product be? What would my product be? I was talking to someone recently about the idea of having, um, instead of bringing your clothing to a laundromat, you could just bring your dishes to, like, a place that will wash them for you. Get the fuck out of the studio. I had had two Bellinis at that point. You're going to bring all your dishes in transport. (laughs) Why not just have them come to your house? <laughs> it seems much more productive. Oh, that's a really good point. Okay, that's my pitch. <laughs> so you mean a, a housekeeper? <laughs> no, but these people just do dishes, they Phoebe. Only do. <laughs> it's oh bespoke dishwashers. <laughs> I already yeah. know what the sharks would say, though. Okay, what would they say? They'd be like, who's to say a bigger shark won't just replicate this? <laughs> There's no business model here. And I'd be like... You're right. And then I would, like, cry about my mom's dreams. Yeah, where's your patent? Which is the, where's my patent? <laughs> it's pending. It's always my, pending. My <laughs> patent is pending. We're going to get approval in about two weeks. And then we have so many orders in. They always say they have orders coming in. Um, Right now, all of the money is going to inventory, of which we have <laughs> a lot. <laughs> We're projected at $6 million this year. Really? Last year was 100000 So how are you leaping to $6 million? Where are you getting this valuation? <laughs> oh, my God. I love Shark Tank so much. It's good. There should be like a Shark Tank porn parody. I mean, there must be. Yeah. Have you been asked to invest in anything ever? No. I don't have money to invest. I don't know. <laughs> I don't make that much money from Tito Queens. <laughs> Okay, you know what, Joni? We have to take a little damn break. But after that, we have a very special guest who's going to join us in the studio. A guest that is so special to my heart. Okay, listeners. Today's interview is a treat. We have Eric Nam. He is a Korean-American singer, songwriter, and host who is based in South Korea. What up, SK? Does anyone call it South Korea SK? Probably not. Anyway, (laughs) Eric Nam is super huge in the world of K-pop. So what does that mean exactly? We see it all the time now. We're hearing all about K-pop. But... We don't know the essence of K-pop. So I want to invite truly one of the most important people in my life. I love her so much. Her name is Mai Huen. And she's my chief of staff. And also, I think probably the smartest person on this whole planet about K-pop. Everything K-pop. So you're joining us today, Mai, to talk about Eric Nam. Correct. Ooh, look how you came up in that. Okay, but also, more importantly, if you follow me on Instagram, you also know the legend of Mai, A. And she also has her own spinoff Instagram account called My Snacks. That is true. (laughs) (laughs) That is a fact. (laughs) Okay, how are you doing, Queen Mai? I'm great. I'm very excited. Okay, so let's sort of get a little primer on K-pop. Can you tell us about the origin of it? Like, how did it start? It kind of came about 
really in 1992, Sotaji and the Boys were like the first kind of like modern K-pop music, which is, you know, Korean popular music. And young people were really looking for some music that they can relate to mm. and something that kind of spoke to like their individualism. And so they were like the first gen K-pop group to kind of come out of that time period. So my, I never really listened to K-pop until we started working together, but I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like the sort of general vibe of K-pop is very positive and hopeful and also like a lot of like layered meanings in the lyrics. Like how would you describe it to people? Yeah, I think musically it's just a bunch of different genres Mm -hmm. mixed in. So there's something really for everybody. Like if you like hip hop, you know, if you like pop, Sometimes that's like all in one song, you know. Okay. I want to ask you, since we're talking to Eric today, what's your favorite Eric Nam song and why? There's quite a few. All oh, of the cr- songs that he's written for soundtracks that he's done in Korea and even soundtracks he's written here, they're all great. Um, I really love Cave Me In. Which Me is- too. It's so good. Mm-hmm. Baby, I want you to cave me. So I've been wanting a K-pop person on, and you're the reason that this all happened. So can we get the story on how we got Eric on the show? You slid into some DMs with like a hey, boo, hey. Yes, but more professional (laughs) in an email format. I'm curious, when K-pop sort of like came onto the scene in the early 90s, were people freaked out? Like, was there kind of a backlash from more conservative people with concerns about it? Yeah. Yes. So the first group was a hip-hop group, and they formed themselves. Like, the Mm. main guy in it formed this hip-hop group. And they did some dancing, and they were the first group that also hired, like, a stylist. So they were wearing some really cool clothing, had a good style, and they were dancing on TV and stuff, and they got criticized so much, especially (gasps) from the older generation. And that almost made them more popular among young people. Like, I think it was a really exciting time and changed what Korean popular music sound like. Before, it was a bunch of, like, folk songs and ballad singers. And this was the first time it was, like, a hip-hop, and there were English words kind of, you know, in there, as all K-pop songs are known Mm -hmm. to have. And um, they were talking about issues that young people back then were really relating to. What are some of the issues? Um, They were talking about, you know, politics, but also individualism. And everybody at that time had kind of like the one, we're all one, we all have to be the same. And this was the first kind of music to say, you don't have to all be the same. You can all be different and that's okay. You know who else has a song about like being one and not having to be the same? Don't you dare. Bon Bon? Yeah, it's you too. See? Yeah. (laughs) Is there like... I've already lost Joanna. She has officially quit this podcast, but it's okay. It's fine. I can find another gorgeous white chick who wears cute overalls to be my friend. (laughs) But okay, I want to go back to 
sweet baby my when you first like discovered k-pop like what were your first feelings the first time you ever heard it were you just like holy shit this is like now gonna be my jam forever well going back into time i've always been a fan of pop music and especially boy bands like i've listened to them all Mm -hmm. but k-pop wasn't really accessible to me until later on in like the early 2000s when I could start finding music on the internet. But how I first discovered K-pop was through these old videos. I used to watch K-dramas with my grandma, and all, like, the soundtrack songs to them were always so good. Mm. And so once I started getting into K-dramas, I started looking up, and we had, like, the internet to, like, Google. Maybe not Google. It was probably Ask Jeeves or something at the time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It was still hard to find any kind of K-pop music out there but now it's way easier but I think yeah in probably my college years was when I got into like the second and third generation k-pop groups are k-dramas just like completely over the top and wild they're not their humor is really different but they're still funny and some of them are known for being sad like before in like the early 2000s stuff I feel like I was always crying Mm. watching a Mm k-drama every k-drama was like this is us Yes, that's Now there's more, like, humor and kind of wide variety of, like, all the genres. Are there, like, there's a lot of, like, twins or people sleeping with someone's brother? No. Got it. Definitely (laughs) more conservative. They barely kiss or hold hands on a K-drama. What? Yeah, skinship is what it's called when you're, like, holding (gasps) hands. They they don't really do that much. Skinship? It's, like, probably episode 16, and then they... Give a peck on the cheek, and then the whole season's over. Whoa. Oh, no. I need to see some TNA, it honey. It's a very short format. <laughs> I haven't heard the term TNA, TNA since, like, the Tits 90s. and ass. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> My face. <laughs> <laughs> she literally recoiled. <laughs> so there's never, like, all, like, American dramas are just, like, someone's in a shower, they're shirtless, and they're like, they have some scenes like that. Oh, that's tight. Okay, that's cool. I can get into that. <laughs> that's more recent. And a lot of idols and stuff that have become actors, mm-hmm. that's when the ratings go up. It's, Wait, what's an idol? We call them idols, but it's basically somebody in a popular K-pop group. There's like idols and actors. So like the idols are more like the singers, like BTS are called idols. Okay. Could Joni and I be idols of podcasting? Yeah. People look up to you and listen to you and listen to your words and take that in. So, yeah, I think that you would be con- you have influence. You'd be considered an idol of podcasting. Oh, work. my God, Joni, we made it. I'm going to change my business cards right away. <laughs> Joanna Salataroff, idol. <laughs> <laughs> so, Maya, somebody who is not very familiar with K-pop at all, what are the things that we need to know about Eric Nam? Well, he's a very popular singer, songwriter, TV host, and a go-to host for all kind of Western celebrity interviews in Korea. Oh, wow. Yeah, he is very popular. He's known as like the nation's boyfriend. Oh! He has (laughs) 2.5 million Instagram followers. Damn. Wow. And he's referred to as Korea's Bruno Mars meets Justin Timberlake. Also, when people think of K-pop, I mean, I know for me, my assumption was that most of the idols would be people who grew up in Korea, but he grew up in Georgia, right? That's right. He was born and raised in Georgia, actually. Wow. 
I sound like a stalker right now. No, you you know what you sound like? <laughs> well researched. Yes. Um... And that's why this interview is going to be dope because you put together this bomb ass research. So I hope he appreciates it. And like we become friends in real life. I hope that too. Uh, well, thank you for joining us today, Mai. I'm really excited for this interview. I'm going to try and do you proud. And can I just ask him if he's available for dating for you? He'll probably skirt around that topic. Oh. But in my heart, I'll pretend that he said yes. That's cute. With my mind, which probably is already, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. We don't have to say anymore. <laughs> no, just, I'm just looking into your eyes right now, and you understand. <laughs> I understand the skinship. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enjoy my interview with Eric. Thank you so much, Eric. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Of course. I know you're all the way. You're in South Korea right now. I am. Yes. This is very exciting. I'm excited as well. Oh, good. Um, There's so much I want to talk to you about. I'm so excited you're doing the show. But this is very, we got to start with some, like a hot question out the gate. Very important. All right. Um, Okay, let's do it. So you are an ambassador for Delta Airlines. Can you get me some free miles? (laughs) (laughs) You trying to up your medallion game? Is that what you're trying to do? Yeah, man. uh... I'm at the bottom. I'm like group eight. It is a nightmare on Delta. (laughs) Uh, I hear what you mean. Uh, Let me check if I can can help you out a little bit. Okay, great. But uh, yeah, let me check with my people. (laughs) (laughs) But um, in all seriousness... Uh, thank you so much for joining us on So Many White Guys. We love just highlighting people who are, like, killing the game. And you are a multi-hyphenate and then some. You, you're you a songwriter. You're a singer. You are a host, TV personality, interviewer, everything, uh, which is incredible. Um, so can you, like, take us back to the beginning, right? You're from Atlanta. You went to college in Boston. And then yep. now you're a massive K-pop icon. Yeah. How the hell did that happen, <laughs> man? <laughs> well, thank you for that over-the-top <laughs> introduction. <laughs> I'm very flattered. It's been a crazy, crazy couple of years. Um, I, I am from Atlanta, Georgia. I was born and raised there in the burbs of Atlanta. And then I ended up going to Boston College to study international relations. I guess... Through college, you know, I was that kid that was kind of overachieving in many ways. I wasn't like the smartest kid, but I was always just working hard, doing like a bajillion things, doing all the clubs and activities that I just found were interesting. I was the oldest of three kids Mm -hmm. and son to immigrant parents. It was always kind of instilled in me that I have to set a good example. And, you know, the stereotypical like, we came to this country with one shoe and three pennies in our pockets, so you better do well. (laughs) Like, I (laughs) I got that a lot. And so for me, um, I really kind of took that to heart and I was, you know, I'm going to graduate with a job Mm -hmm. and I'm going to hit all the marks in terms of what I need to do because my parents are putting so much in for me. So I I went to Boston College, I graduated with a degree and then I kind of interned and I did every right step you could possibly do. So I, my junior year of college, I ended up with an internship and then a return offer at Deloitte Consulting doing business strategy and operations. But I kind of took a step back and I 
projected my future. Uh, and I was like, what would this look like? And I was like, okay, so I have the job. And th- there's nothing wrong with what I'm about to say. Or, But I felt like I would be 30-something with two kids, white picket fence house. And that's fine for some people. Mm-hmm. But at that moment, it was not for me. And so I was like, you know what? I did everything that I, I promised myself I would do, kind of for my parents in a way. So what do I need to do for myself? And um, I realized that I've always had two really big passions in life. One of them was like social work mm-hmm. and like philanthropy. And the other one was music. And so even when I was doing all these internships at banks or consulting firms or whatever, I would always find a way to try to find a way to incorporate that into my lifestyle. And so I said, you know, what? I'll, I'll sign this job offer under the stipulation that they give me a year off. And so I pretty much found a way into a social enterprise fellowship in India. That's amazing. You know, I was like, they were like, what are you going to do? Like, I'm going to take a year off. Doing what? I'm going to go to India. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, So I I go to India and I kind of said, I'll try this thing for a nine month program and then I'll go back to Deloitte. Um, But I get to India and it was like the worst fit possible, like the program itself. Mm-hmm. And I didn't feel like I was making any sort of meaningful impact. And so I, I like really prayed about it. I was like, dear God, if I'm supposed to be here and miserable, I'm sure there's like a reason that you want me to be here. So I'll stay. But on the off chance that I could do something else like music, wink, wink, please let me know. <laughs> and like, I got an email, like literally two days later on this email account that I had set up for my YouTube account when I was in like high school. And it was like, hey, we saw your uh, cover songs. Do you want to come out to Korea for a singing competition? And I was like, this is it. This is like divine intervention or whatever you call it. And so, and it was like the sketchiest email. It was like, just send us your passport. And that was like the end of- Oh, hell that was like no. The end of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, number one, this is a scam. But like absolutely a scam. But I was so desperate and I was so willing to just try it out that I, I just sent it to him. I was like, you know what? Worst case, somebody has my passport information and I'm okay with that. <laughs> so, yeah, I send it off. I get the flight. I get on this TV show like a, like American Idol meets The Voice. Mm-hmm. And I get to the top five. And I've been in Korea ever since. Sorry, that was a very long-winded answer. No, that was great. And I have so many follow-ups because it's such an amazing story. So that's why I wanted you to sort of like set the landscape. So first I want to ask, whenever you're doing something creative, like I, you know, do comedy and I act and stuff. and But I always was like telling people, oh, I'll just be behind the scenes, like whatever. I'll just be a writer. But... A lot, you know, like my family and my friends, they kind of had a sneaking suspicion that like I wanted to perform. So did your parents ever think, yeah, I know he's, you know, he's going to school. He he wants, he's going to do consulting, but I think he really wants to do music. Was there ever, did you guys ever have that sort of conversation or what went down there? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. We had that conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, growing up at the time, it was like American Idol was like the biggest thing on TV. Right? Yeah. Um, so I was like, I really want to go to American Idol. Like, I really want to try it out. And it was a big thing because I was like, there's not a single Asian person on this show. Mm-hmm. Like, there's how do you have all of America and you don't have a single Asian person except for William Hung representing Asians singing She Bang? And I was like, this is the most embarrassing thing. Like, yeah. there have to be talented Asian Americans. And so I was like, I want to do this. And my parents were like, no, nah. like, that's not part of this discussion. And my mom was always like, 
you're not good enough. Like, you're mm-hmm. actually not good, Eric. So I don't know why you keep thinking that you're going to be able to go on to this thing and make it. But I think for me, that's why YouTube became a platform and an outlet for me to just try to to put stuff up there and to get feedback. And it was really funny. Like, one of my very first YouTube videos, Justin Bieber, when he started out on YouTube. Yeah. He went on to my- he went on to one of my videos and was like, you have a great voice. Let's, I think he wrote like, let's collab or something. And then I was like, who is this like 10-year-old kid writing a <laughs> video saying let's collab? But Mr. Bieber, sir, if you're listening, I would love to collab. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so it was like a, they always knew, um, but they were very, you know, kind of like you got to go to work, you got to go to school, mm-hmm. you got to get a degree. That was kind of the path. And even when I got to Korea... You know, I, I called them at a certain point in the competition. I was like, hey, uh, this is like kind of going well. I have a really good shot at this. You know, the public, they're voting for me. My mom just started laughing. She's like, Eric, I can't believe that you still think you have a shot because you're going <laughs> to finally figure out how many people in the world are better at singing than you. And it, oh she, she was like laughing about it. I was like, thanks, mom, for all that encouragement. <laughs> really love you. But... Yeah, I mean, in Korea, there's so many talented singers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I understand where she was coming from. But, you know, I just look back and I think it's kind of a funny thing that I am where I am today, in spite of my mom's less than encouraging words. Yeah, she's a low-key hater, but she was rooting for you deep down. <laughs> she just was trying to protect you. She was, she you. was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was. So, um, you know, you doing like all these covers on YouTube. Like, what kind of music were you into when you were younger that you feel like sort of bleeds into like what you do now because um for me like listening to your stuff there's definitely like some pop there's like some urban some r&b but there are also like some really cool Mm -hmm. jazz elements and it too and like it's just a really amazing sort of combination of like vibes and styles but was that kind of the music you were always into growing up in atlanta i i have a a very diverse Mm -hmm. upbringing in terms of music you know i was I used to be in this thing called the Atlanta Boy Choir, and it, it was just opera classical stuff. And I really hated going because it was like wait, can you sing opera? No, I'm awful. Okay. Okay. But like <laughs> as a kid, there's this boy choir that apparently was like very it won Grammys like before I was there, and so it was like a very prestigious choir. And my parents were always like, if you're going to do music, you're going to do like classical, train, whatever. And I was mm. like, this is the worst. <laughs> so I had like that side. And then I have like the stuff at church, which is just, you know, church music. And then growing up, it was Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. Mm-hmm. And then I love like Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles. Hey, mama, don't you treat me wrong. Come and love you, daddy, oh. So I had like a huge mix of people. But I remember like my middle school, high school days was like Usher. Usher was king of all. So like it's very, very diverse in terms of pop, R&B, some jazz. And it's very interesting that you had pointed out all those different genres. Because in Korea, I don't think people have really looked into my music and said, oh, these are the influences that Mm -hmm. have kind of shaped Eric's music. I think my difficulty in Korea is like pop and R&B. That's like what I love to do. But in Korea, that market hasn't been as developed in terms of listenability. And so when I put something out, 
people are just kind of taking it back. It's like, why is an Asian guy singing this kind of stuff? Mm. It's like reverse, like, I don't want to call it racism, but like reverse stereotyping in terms of what people want. Right. They don't expect someone who looks like you to, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 So it's been like interesting, like, you know, back in the States, it's like, we, we just don't exist at all. Back in Korea, it's like, wait, why is this guy, like, how is this happening? So you got top five in this music competition. This had to mm-hmm. blow your mind because it wasn't like, you know, expected. Like, you just got this email to do this thing, and now you're in the top five. So, like, what is going in your head? Are you sort of like, this is a sign that I should, like, 100%, no matter what happens on this show, I'm going to double down, I'm going to pursue music. Like, what were you thinking? No, I was not thinking that at all. Mm. I uh, I had a lot of doubts. But I was thinking, like, okay, I have a job waiting for me in New York, and I've always wanted to live in New York. Yeah. And I have this, like, fantasy about living in New York and just being in my 20s and whatever. And it's, like, a stable, steady job that pays well. And then in Korea, I have to say, like, my Korean was awful. Like, I can't, I couldn't barely hold a conversation. And I've been on this TV show for nine months where I've just been locked away, like, far, far north of the city. And the TV show was, like, nine months so by the time we're done, everybody's exhausted. So I was like, this was not fun. But it's cool. I got top five. Probably should figure my life out. And it all came down to like this one thing of like, you know what? You live once. And mm. if you don't take this opportunity now, like you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. And a company like the corporations will be around forever. And luckily you are employable. So just take a leap of faith. So I just kind of took it. It was terrifying, like, for years because you hear stories about, like, entertainment and how awful it can be and all the horrible things that can happen. Yeah. And I think that was probably what my parents were most concerned about. So it, it, was, a, it was a big decision to make, but I'm glad I made it because I'm here talking to you. So, Aww. yeah. Ooh, Eric, you smooth. <laughs> but um, can you talk a little bit about that adjustment period of, you You know, you're somewhere different and you don't necessarily speak the language. Like, what were, like, your initial feelings when you first, like, got to Korea and you're, like, trying to adjust to this? And then how did you figure out how to get into the groove of things and make it a place where you felt, like, maybe not, I don't want to say, like, stressed out, but you felt more comfortable and at ease and you felt like you were getting into the groove of everything? So, I mean, luckily for me, like, I had spent a lot of my high school and college years really throwing myself into really uncomfortable waters in Mm -hmm. terms of, like, living conditions. Um, I would spend a lot of summers in Latin America doing service work. And then in college, I would do, I did a year in China doing study abroad. And so I thought it would be a lot easier than it was. Mm -hmm. But being here, like, I'm Korean-American So there's this double standard of, like, how I'm supposed to act and behave with... Mm -hmm. They have, like, their preconceived notions of what a Korean-American should be like. Um, But I think with my upbringing, you know, growing up in in Atlanta, there weren't a lot of Asians there either. And I was always in, like, a very peculiar place. And so trying to figure out how to survive in whatever setting I was in was kind of... I guess, imprinted onto who I became as, a, mm-hmm. as an adult. And so for me, it was always, okay, let's find what Eric Nam can do best and only mm-hmm. Eric Nam can do. That was kind of my strategy. Um, and it still kind of is. But I don't think I really got comfortable in Korea 
until probably like three, four years ago. And I've been here like eight years. So it took me a long time. And unfortunately, and and fortunately, I've been through just like a lot of dark stuff here. Like stuff that you hear about in the movies or like the the shows just about entertainment. Mm -hmm. You're like, man, that sucks. Um, And then I just realized like that's just part of the things that you have to go through in order to to kind of survive. You know, I've only done, you know, the entertainment industry in the States. And so would you say, like, is it pretty similar, like, in Korea to, like, Hollywood? Like, in terms of, like, the difficulties, in terms of just, like, having to, like, grind all the time. You're constantly, like, having to, like, put out content in order for people to hear your your work. And you're, you're doing, like, a million things just so you, you don't know which is going to be the thing that pops off. So you have to have, like, basically eight different jobs. Like, what are the similarities, you would say, and, like, what are some of the differences? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it is very similar mm-hmm. in that way. Um, the one thing that I do have that it was a very big legs up for me is the fact that I had worked in a corporate setting before mm-hmm. that I had a degree. And here in Korea, I feel like a lot of the kids who want to become stars. So you train from a very young age. Some of these kids are nine or 10 years old when they start going into these companies to train. So when you go in, you have vocal, dancing, acting, modeling, speech lessons. And that's all you do. Wait, so are they still going to school or are they like they have tutors? Like, how does this work? I don't know exactly the details, okay. but like they go to like the training centers to, to get trained. Um, so what I've realized is not a lot of them have had a proper education that is more of like a, a holistic education. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like... People didn't know how to deal with me because I had the degree, I've been educated, I've worked in a workplace, so I was always like, I always had ideas and I always had thoughts and they're like, why do you speak, human, don't speak. (laughs) Um, But for me, that was a value add in terms of like, I would be making PowerPoint presentations to my company and my label constantly. Just they'd be like, this kid's a freak. Why is he bringing in PowerPoint presentations? And I was like, well, there should be a strategy behind things. but that was always like a legs up for me. Um, but because I had that legs up, I would always be finding interesting ways to uh, either like make a little bit of money so I could like survive or find new ways to like approach things that were different from what the market was traditionally doing. And so for me, like uh, a lot of these idol kids, when they go into the recording se- sessions, like I would be there to direct them in terms of how to sing. I would do their background vocals and their chorus for their albums. Um, so I did a lot of that to make money and to survive. And then I would be doing ton of TV and radio, just like stuff I had no idea what I was doing, but some exposure is better than no exposure. That was kind of the mentality. Mm-hmm. And so I would be on the craziest TV shows. Like I would be on a TV show where the entire purpose of the TV show was to blow bubblegum. And I would be sitting there like <laughs> super like depressed and sad. I'm like, why am I here at 7 a.m.? There's like a room of 100 people. And they're like, welcome to the bubblegum blowing contest. <laughs> and I was a radio regular on a couple of shows for a long time. Um, and then what kind of finally took off was I was interviewing, or I guess I had two things. One, I was hosting a TV show on the English TV channel in Korea. And that's broadcasted into like 190 countries in the world. Mm -hmm. So I was like an English-speaking host doing K-pop interviews. 
Um, and that actually did very well. So we were trending like on Twitter when Twitter was hot um, on the number one spot for like a year or two, like every time we had a show. So that really went well. And then the other thing that went well was I was doing interviews for like e-news, like entertainment news kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and the original thing was like, okay, Eric, you're going to come in. You're only going to interview like the Hollywood celebs that come in. I was like, cool, whatever. I'll try it. And I think my first interview was Iron Man. It was Robert Downey Jr. Oh, and I almost, damn. And I, uh, <laughs> I freaked out. I had a fanboy moment. And uh, those interviews, like the English-speaking interviews, started doing really well. Um, they would be trending. Like in Korea has like the equivalent of, it's like a Google site, but it's a portal with like all your news, all your information, and all the trending topics on one page. And if you hit number one on that, like everybody in the nation is talking about you and knows what's going on. And luckily for me, I had all these interviews that kept happening and they would just pop off. They would go viral. So Robert Downey Jr. to Jamie Foxx to like Paris Hilton. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I've done, I feel like I've interviewed like all the Avengers, all the superheroes, Black Panther, whatever. And that's kind of what really catapulted me into just like, oh, this kid is well-spoken. He's Korean-American. He also happens to sing. And that's how a lot of people kind of got to know me. Um, so yeah, a lot of side gigs, a lot of hustle. Mm -hmm. And um, luckily, those are the two things that really kind of brought me into mainstream media. I want to switch gears for a second. So um, I saw that you've been called the nation's boyfriend slash sweetheart in Korea just because of like, you have like this clean cut, like really good image. And I'm just wondering, like, you know, whenever you have like a label assigned to you, whether it's that like, uh, like you're the it girl or like uh, mm -hmm. America's sweetheart, did you find that that can be oppressive or feel limiting or just feel like people aren't able to see the complexities of you because they're just like, oh, he's a nation's boyfriend. He's so sweet. He's so this. He's so great. And did you feel like, well, there are more mm -hmm. layers to me than what you're allowing people to see? Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I, uh, I'll take it even one step further for you. <laughs> there's, there's the nation's boyfriend kind mm -hmm. of title. But there's also... In Korean, it's called il kagu il erik nam. So what that means is one household, one eric nam. So an eric nam per household is pretty much what they're saying. And <laughs> oh like, my gosh, you made it, man! That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Look, like, and I, I get asked that question a lot. They're like, "How do you feel about that?" And um, it's to the point where if you search it into that portal that I told you about, it's like mm -hmm. in the dictionary. Like the oh online God. dictionary. It's kind of crazy. And yeah. so I'm incredibly, first off, I'm very thankful. And I, you know, I appreciate the love that, you know, my fans in Korea have, have shown me. The hard time I had with all these titles is mm -hmm. that it does limit or restrict the way that you're supposed to act or supposed to be seen or the way you're perceived. The other thing about Korean media as well is if you look at the TV shows, there's a ton of computer graphics and subtitling that happens into the shows. Mm -hmm. So instead of like, I feel like in the States, if you watch a TV show, you kind of read into body language and you just really listen to what the person is saying. But in Korea, like they will summarize the situation, a scenario with like big graphics that say like, this is funny or this is a failure or this is like 
pretty much telling you how you should think about a person. Mm -hmm. And so for me, you know, it's a blessing and a curse. Like anytime on TV, it's just like this kid is like the most well-mannered kid. I say hello. And I'm not kidding. There are like flowers that splash across the screen and the screen (laughs) turns into a like a pink fuzzy face. And it's the funniest thing to me. And I, again... Don't take this wrong. I appreciate it, but it, it it does absolutely restrict the way I feel like I can behave in public or the way I should talk to people. And uh, sometimes it felt very, how do you say, frustrating. Mm-hmm. But yeah, at the end of the day, you know, it's I'm just thankful. Um, so we touched a little bit on reality TV, and I wanted to go back to that because <laughs> I know that you were on a show called We Got Married, where they sort of like <laughs> paired celebrities off. And you had to pretend to be married, and the film was for, like, eight or nine months. So can you tell us what that experience was like? And did you kind of, sort of, maybe a little bit catch feelings for (laughs) the person you were paired (laughs) off with? (laughs) Um, Yeah, so it's a reality show where they pair you up, and you're supposed to be married. Um, And we go through the entire process of, like, apartment hunting to planning a wedding to (laughs) a honeymoon, all that kind of stuff. And I'll just say this. I went into the show Mm open-minded about this person because, you know, you never know. You never know what's going to happen. And I think there's a point where you're like, oh, this is work. And then there's a point where you're like, oh, this could work. This could potentially work. Um, But um, it was a... Very interesting, confusing TV show to be a part of. <laughs> uh, and do you still talk to the person or no? Uh, we talk every once in a while. I think okay. we, uh, we've, we've all been very busy in our own right. And so we <laughs> run into each other uh, during you know, different TV programs or music shows. And we'll just say what's up. But I see her members more than I see her these days because... Mm. Uh, she has members in her group and we all just kind of split up. But they would call me like, what did they call me? Like brother-in-law. And so <laughs> it was always, uh, it's always funny to to catch up with those those ladies. Yeah. And what, you know, what I think is so interesting about you is because, you know, you have, I think, two and a half million followers on Instagram. You know how to speak like multiple languages. In a way, I really do feel like you are the definition of like what it means to be like a global star. And I feel Like, I mean, you're only 30, right, at this point. And so Mm -hmm. because you are out there in so many arenas, you do have this social media presence. Like, I'm wondering, like, how does that inform your music and how you go about creating? Like, I know you have a new album coming out and you are just writing, like, a ton of songs all the time. But then you also have to make sure you're engaging your fans. And so how do you shut that off and do the, the creative aspects? Um, I'll be honest, that's like something I'm still struggling with and mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out. Um, I'm oftentimes jealous of these big groups who have like 10 members or whatever, because I find that they can rely on each other to take care of a certain area so another can, member can do another thing. So if one member is doing acting, another member will be on TV, another member will be radio, another one will be doing musicals. I have to do all of them by myself and then perform a full set by myself yeah. while writing all the songs. And so people are always like, you need, you work too much. I was like, yeah, but if I don't do it, there's nobody to do it mm-hmm. for me. And so I really, I'm never really shut off, unfortunately. Instead of thinking as a shut off, I try to just 
pull everybody into my world as much as I can um, and just be open about it as to the point of, of which I'm comfortable with. Um, so the songwriting process is like, in order to write, I often find that I'll just completely remove myself from Korea. So I'll just be in LA to just write for like a week or two. And hopefully in that week or two, I can come up with material that is great for an mm-hmm. album. And then when I'm back in Korea, I'll be doing all the TV shows, the radio, and then like the college festival circuits. And so it's come down to a thing of really trying to properly plan out my career so that wherever I am in a certain part of the world, there's something that I can share or have at the end of it um, that I can show to everybody else that's not there. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up your, your songwriting process because I, I read that you said that you write your songs in English and then translate to Korean. Yeah. Wow, that's a lot of... <laughs> like so much work but do you find that it's it's tricky to maintain the message that you've written in english and bring that into korean like is it easy to translate the songs that way um Mm -mm. is there have you ever tried just writing a song in korean and seeing how it would go yeah great question um (laughs) yeah that process is horrible it's the worst process to go through (laughs) it's it's awful um so i have tried writing in korean um, and I'll do it when I feel like I need to put out a very Korean, Korean song, like a Korean ballad. Um, but just phonetically, I feel like English is so much easier to write in because there are vowels, um, that you have an ah, oh, I sound. And those are what really help a song to rhyme and flow. Mm-hmm. In Korean, there's a lot of like closed off words. Um, so as soon as you say it, it's just the end. So it's it's harder for things to flow in a certain way. Mm. And then when it comes to like the English to Korean part, I've just kind of given up. <laughs> I've given up. In, I've given up in terms of trying to make it uh, work like in a particular way. So for example, like last year, I released a song called "Miss You" mm-hmm. in Korean. And then in English, it's called I Don't Miss You. Well, at least right now I'm telling you the truth. I don't miss you. When you go, go your way and I'll go mine. Let it go. Don't look back, you'll be all right. I don't miss you. Don't miss me. And the reason we did that was the song in English is it's I don't miss you. We're going to just move on. Like, we're done, and I'm just going to keep telling myself I don't miss you because we're done. That kind of thing. And in Korean, it's like this sappy... It's not sappy. It's just like this, I miss you so much, and I fake my way into saying that I don't miss... It's just like the opposite. It's like a complete play on words. But I've just come to terms with the fact that it's impossible to make things kind of translate the perfect way you want them to. And if and the when I write it in English, like we write it in a way that, you know, it means something and it's meaningful. And at that time, it had an emotion, it had an inspiration and it had this sentiment about it. And taking it into Korean completely loses that. And so... 
I've just kind of decided like for certain songs, if it's best in English, we're just going to go straight in English. And then if we can salvage it into Korean mm-hmm. and make it work out, we'll do it in Korean. Okay, so here's the thing. You're, you're just dominating music. You got a new podcast you just started that's like number one in 30 countries. You know, <laughs> you're killing it on TV. Like what... Like, what's next for you? You're 30, you're, you know, you you got it all going on, man. I'm, like, incredibly thankful and blessed Mm -hmm. to be where I am at the moment. And so I think beyond music and beyond, like, TV and that kind of stuff, it's Mm -hmm. really, I think, twofold. First of all, I think, you know, I look to people like Ashton Kutcher, um, who have really that is a surprising person that you would you would say you look to okay i'm curious (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah no i look to like ashton kutcher in the sense that i think he's really become an amazing like angel investor into startups and believing Mm -hmm. in people's Mm -hmm. ideas and their tech and their inspirations like early on and being able to identify them and then put on for them and help them grow and build um in ways that are meaningful and so because I think I, I come from like a consulting background and I've always loved like problem solving, I'm really interested in getting into like the area of angel investing and venture capital. So that's like one side of it that I'm really excited about that I want to do in the future. And the other side is really reverse engineering my career back into the States. Mm. Um, I think... You know, I've done some of the collaborations and I, it's, it's incredible to see a lot of these K-pop acts start to blow up internationally mm-hmm. and make headway in the States. But for me, I think it doesn't have to be me, but there need to be more Asian Americans doing things in America. Mm-hmm. And that's probably yeah. like my next mission. One of the most rewarding parts of my job, you know, for lack of a better word, is if I'm on tour or if I run into people on the streets, they'll just come up to me and they'll be like, yo, thank you for what you do. And when I first heard that, I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just like, I just do my thing. They're like, no, no, no. Like you went the perfect route of like what every Asian parent wants. And then you said, no, went to Korea to to make this career. And now you're killing it, making music that you love. So thank you for showing us that it's possible to do that. And for like allowing us to dream and to be inspired and allowing our kids to be inspired because when we were growing up that was never a real possibility like all i saw was jackie chan you know doing karate and martial arts and then for women it was lucy Liu in charlie's Mm -hmm. angels and even that was like holy crap like it's lucy Liu on the big screen but it's only in the past few years that like asian americans have started to come into tv roles and movie roles where they're somewhat meaningful and they have, you know, the main role. And in music, I still feel like it's not there yet. You know, BTS is BTS and they're just at the top of the world. But where is where is the American, Asian American version of that? Mm. We don't have them or her yet. Yeah. And so that's, I think, my next goal to either. I don't know if I'll be able to become that person, but if I can help lay the groundwork for that. 13-year-old kid to to grow into something like that, I think that's a super cool, meaningful thing that I could have been a part of. And so for me, that means 
really, you know, continuing the tour, continuing to put out great music that people can relate to, and then really trying to push boundaries and challenging, you know, traditional forms of media in the States to work with people like myself. That's awesome. Eric, you are the truth, man. You really are. (laughs) This has been great. I appreciate it. It's been awesome. Uh, Well, thank you so much for joining us today on So Many White Guys. You've been amazing. I cannot wait to see you live. I might have to fly to Europe this summer to see you. So I'm going to get those Delta miles. (laughs) You're more than welcome. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll fly you out on Delta, get you the medallions, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) So you need to fly myself and my assistant, Mai, who orchestrated this whole interview out for it. Wait. Is Mai the Mai that I know? Mai Wen? That's my assistant. Yeah. Wait, what? <laughs> wait, is that the same Mai? Oh, wait, she's coming into <laughs> the, the studio. the same name. Mai, you coming into the studio, Mai? <laughs> <laughs> Do you and Eric know each other and you didn't tell me this? Not in this life. Maybe in a past life. Okay, okay. I like that. <laughs> maybe that was it. We'll have to meet in person. Oh, my God. You guys do have to meet in person. Okay. Where are you going to be this summer? Where should we fly to see you? You're going to go to Europe and she's going to just show up and be like, hey, (laughs) I used those Delta miles (laughs) and now I'm here in Poland. What's up? Warsaw? Yeah. No, come to Europe. I'll be in 11 cities. So you'll catch me somewhere. I'll run into you. Yes, let's make this happen. Yes, nice to meet you, Mai. Nice to meet you, too. (laughs) (laughs) She's so happy. (laughs) All right, Eric, thank Uh, you so much, man. This has been amazing. Likewise, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. You guys, you just heard that amazing interview with Eric Nam. Go get your tickets to see him live in concert. Mai. Yes. Joanna. Yes. Something major just happened. I know. How do you feel, my? You and Eric made contact. Well, he was in my ear, <laughs> and it sounded like a real phone call Ooh. to me. So even though my voice was a three and a half, my heart was like a ten and a half. She's Aww. clutching her heart again, too. <laughs> and I feel like he did, like... Like, jokes, not jokes, invite us to come to a concert in Europe. Well, he thinks you're joking, but I know you better. And I know, (laughs) uh, you know, an ocean is not enough distance if you really want to go see someone. (laughs) Okay, Joanna, do you think maybe the three of us should go to Europe this summer? Yes. Hang out with Enoms. Does anyone call him that? Enoms? Enom the Phenom? Enom the Phenom? We'll get that trending on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think this was a pretty smashing episode. And I think for people who are listening to this who aren't that familiar with K-pop, like, I think they'll, like, want to get into it more. You know? What do you guys think? Or at least give it a chance. Okay, but for real, you guys, I'm glad we had Eric on the show today. Remember, he has a new single out now called Runaway. Ooh. And if you are in Europe in June, find him. The So Many White Guys team includes Amory Baldonado, 
Joanna Salataroff, Paula Schumann, Joe Plord, Keegan Zemma, Isaac Jones, Nora Wazwaz, and moi, Phoebe Robinson. A special thank you to Mai Wen, who made this episode of our show possible. Thanks, Mai! Our theme song was written by a white dude and sung by a bunch of other white dudes. Don't forget to follow Eric and me on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, to get more Phoebes in your life, come see me while I do stand-up in your town. My tour is called Sorry Harriet Tubman. Go to PhoebeRobson.com slash tour and get your tickets now. We want all these shows sold out. If they're not sold out, Mai's going to get fired. Yeah, I want to be employed, so buy tickets, please. <laughs> I love how Mai is just on board with this hostage situation. That's fine. Mai also knows that I can't survive like literally two days without her. So she's like, okay, what else? <laughs> All right. Until next time. Onion hoes. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. <laughs>